everyone. Welcome to the Steve Maxwell Drums Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on our website at www.maxwelldrums.com and then our reverb stores at Steve Maxwell Drums-Chicago and Steve Maxwell Drums-New York. We also have social media, uh, two Instagram accounts, at Maxwell Drum Shop Chicagoland and then at Maxwell Drum Shop. And then also on Facebook, Steve Maxwell and Steve Maxwell Drum Shop. And then, of course, check us out on Twitter at Maxwell Drum Shop. We will interview players, collectors, drum and cymbal builders, and also teachers about all things percussion. And you can go to YouTube if you want to see the video. We'll have pictures of drum shops, of drum sets, badges, cymbals, all kinds of fun stuff. So let's get started. We hope you enjoy it. All right, three, two, one. Hey, Dad, how's it going? Hey, it's good. It's good. Haven't done this in a while. And I got my coat on here. It's not because I'm trying to be cool or anything. It's just that it's a little chilly over here uh, at Podcast Central, and that's why I got it on here. Yeah, this is all set up in our <clears throat> annex. So for those of you who've been to the shop, that's why you've never seen this room because it's uh, yeah. not in the main shop. It's a little chilly over here. But yeah. so so yeah, I was looking through all of the videos we've done, uh, yeah. kind of focused on companies. Mm-hmm. And strangely, we never have done one on Gretsch because we we deal with Gretsch more than any other American drum company, any other drum company at all, right? I mean, maybe Krabby Out on Gretsch, those are our two biggest Krabby Out Gretsch, and Ludwig, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, Gretsch has been, yeah, just tons and tons and tons of stuff for God since day one. So, yeah, we're going to talk about Gretsch today. Yeah, yeah, we should because we're we're long overdue. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Gretsch. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, there's a history of Gretsch that goes back way, way, obviously over 100 years because they've had the 125th anniversary and 135th anniversary. Um, And there's all kinds of information. So we don't want to get too bogged down in details. But for those who have not ever seen the book, Rob Cook uh, did a great book on Gretsch with the help of John Sheridan, who's a good friend of ours and an expert on Gretsch. And um, I even got to contribute some things to this book as well. And it's really got a lot of great information. And this is where you can go and get all that nitty-gritty details about stuff. And, like, you know, I I don't get into, you know, what was the profile of the tension rods on this day or that day. But I really love the the legacy of these drums. The drums were so great. The sound was so good. And some of that's a combination of factors like the shells and and different things. But, you know, we want to cover enough topics here to to give you guys a good sense for uh, why we love Gretsch so much. Yeah. Um, Let me start with you, and because this is a Maxwell podcast, so (laughs) a lot of these things kind of revolve around your um, expertise and and kind of like ideas about the the brand and the company. So first off, I'm going to go into just uh, when when you were growing up, like, yeah, when, when did you first run into Gretsch. I mean, you're from the East Coast, so yeah. it'd probably be earlier. Well, it's a funny thing because um, when I was young, I was uh, too stupid to appreciate Gretsch. So <laughs> here's, so I'm going to be, I'm 70. I'm a, just, just shy of turning 70. So <clears throat> we're talking about, you know, when I was about 12. So we're talking about, born in 52, so we're talking about the 60s. And we had drum catalogs, and you had Ludwig, you had Slingerland, you had Rogers, and you had Gretsch. And I used to look at the Gretsch catalog and I go, eh, you know, I don't know. None of the guys I really like play those drums. Because I was a Buddy Rich fan, uh, a Krupa fan, a Louis Belson fan. So all those guys were playing, you know, Rogers or Slingerland or Ludwig or whatever. Sure. And, you know, I look at those Gretsch drums and I go, you know, I mean, it's really weird because they got those big round knob tone control things that look kind of weird. And, they didn't do much for me. And I thought, eh. And I, I didn't really realize how good they were and that they were really the drums that people, mostly at that point in time, uh, jazz guys were playing those drums. So we're talking about early 60s. So that's round badge era, you know, 50s on in, into through the, the 60s. And being played by Art Blakey, Elvin Jones, Max Roach. The list goes on and on and on and on forever. But those weren't the people I was focused on at the time. So Gretsch fell off the radar for me. You're kind of big into the big bands, which you've always been. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. funny with you, Dad. If, if the bands have a good horn section, 
I'm pretty sure you're gonna like the band. Yeah, <laughs> if they yeah, don't yeah, have a good yeah. horn, so that's what they like a a yeah. big you know like uh, organized you know horn section yeah. doing some nice hits. That I know you're yeah. gonna like it. So I didn't have the appreciation <laughs> for Gretsch when I was young, just because yeah. I was ignorant of it, right? <laughs> and I hadn't spent time thinking about it. But <laughs> you fast forward a little bit, and you start to realize uh, when I used to study at Frank Ippolito's Pro Percussion in New York. This was in seventy uh, two. Somewhere around there, I think seventy-two-ish, around there. So when you and, were in New York, Gretsch had already left pretty recently, though, because I think they left New York in like sixty-eight. Uh, so that could be the, that. If, where they were had down you gone to New York just a little bit earlier? Yeah, you might no, have I, been I, I did. It was, it was seventies. <laughs> but Frank Ippolito's Pro Percussion, they used to have tons of of Gretsch there, and I started, you know, I started Makes seeing. Sense. Of course, yeah. I mean, I'm in New York City, you know, you got Mel Lewis, you got, you know, I mean, everybody. They're yeah. they're there, so. I started to see more, and I started to get more of an appreciation for it. And as you, um, it, 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 it's an interesting thing because the drums not only work for uh, you know jazz combos like what we're just talking about here, but they also work great for any other uh, combination. Uh, Sonny Payne played Gretsch with Basie. A 13, a 16, and a 24-inch bass drum, so the and, only, and they sound The killing. only guys you knew about were probably the big band guys. From, yeah. yeah, those but, you know, the guys you were listening Sonny to. Sonny Payne had a Gretsch kit. It's like, mm, mm, you know, it sound, sound killing. Th those other guys, they have horn sections in their bands, but I'm just talking about you've always been a big fan of the big band yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And the guys playing big bands generally weren't playing Gretsch. Just, I happen to, you know, just, it's just how it was. Yeah. So you have all of that going on, and you start realizing there's more to it than what I thought. And then it was also, as time progressed, it was a great set of drums uh, for, for any music, rock, uh, anything. I mean, a uh, little off the radar for a lot of people, but Gino Vanelli uh, had a lot of really great albums in the um, late 60s through the 70s. And there was a guy who played drums for him. His name was Mark Craney, who has since passed. But Mark was a great player, and he had... Uh, a large Gretsch kit. Which style of music? I'm not familiar with these. It's, cats, it, was, which... <laughs> it, was, it was it was rock. You know, it was rock music. So just kind of top rock and forty roll stuff. stuff. <laughs> but Mark was such a great player, and he had a very large, large size and large number of drums. Didn't Gretsch kit. El Elvis liked Gretsch, right? Didn't he uh, have like some well, some Gretsch kit? <laughs> uh, Elvis's drummer uh, had a had a Gretsch kit. Yeah, with the uh, uh, it was a. Uh, Copper Mist Gretsch kit with a yeah, unshaved calf head on the front. Yeah, Very cool for sure. Kit. 13, 16, 22 with, a, with the snare. But anyway, uh, so long story short, you start to realize that these drums are actually pretty special, and you start to develop a greater appreciation for them as time goes on. Uh, and I've found that they are just absolutely stunningly fantastic to play. So you start asking yourself, well, why? You know, what's the big deal? And part of it you think of, and uh, this tracks to a little bit of a story that uh, my friend Chet Falzerano uh, told me. Chet is the expert, the reigning expert on Billy Gladstone. He's been a good friend of mine for mm, about 30 years probably. And <clears throat> it's an interesting thing. Uh, Gladstone used Gretsch shells when he made the Billy Gladstone drums and when the Gretsch Gladstone drums were made. And what he liked about them was the fact that the shells were fairly thin uh, and that they did not have reinforcement rings. Now, for people who, most everybody looking at this, listening to this is going to know what a reinforcement ring is. But if you don't, uh, basically when the plywood shell is made, the plies are laid out and they're rolled and the edge where they come together is called a scarf joint. So you lay out, oh, let's say it's a six-ply shell. You've got one, two, six pieces of plywood. You roll them and you have a scarf joint right here. Well, because you just did that scarf joint in one spot, that shell won't be strong enough without a maple reinforcement ring on the top and the bottom to keep the shell in round. Some people would think, and there's some truth to it, that that interrupts, basically, it interrupts the sound because the reinforcement ring sticks out and then the sound goes down and then the reinforcement ring goes in and there's the shell. So what Gresh decided to do, Bill Hegner was the guy who did this, he decided they started with the three-ply shell, and they used poplar for the center core because the poplar made the drum lighter because it was not a very dense wood. And then they took <clears throat> three plies, but they staggered where the seam was on each of those plies. So by staggering it, they made the shell stronger, and it didn't have to have a reinforcement ring. And that gives it some of that pure tone 
Later on, when they went to the six-ply shell, it was the same thing. They just staggered it so there were six different places where the shell overlapped. It didn't all come in the same spot. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons that Gretsch, Gretsch drums, they definitely sound different than any other drums. And one of the reasons that vintage drums, I think vintage American drums in particular, are really popular everywhere is just because each company had their real specific thing that involved like a specific sound. Mm. And so what you're talking about with the Gretsch sound, you're talking about the shell, which is first one without reinforcement hoops. And then... Uh, and then the uh, die-cast hoops, too. Well, that's what I was going to say next. You're exactly right. <coughs> Excuse me. There's two elements to it. One is definitely the shell itself. Uh, but then you think about it, okay, uh, die-cast hoop. Everybody watching this is going to know what we're talking about, but I'll say it anyway. Die-cast is a thicker, heavier hoop. Most drums have what's called a triple-flanged steel rim. It used to be brass, but triple-flanged steel. And they're generally uh, lighter in weight, one 0.2 millimeters, whatever. But a die cast is a very heavy rim. It's literally die cast. It's not made out of steel. It's made out of a metal that's a little less strong, but it's kind of like a less dense metal. So it gives you a really cool sound. That's why they're yeah. built so hefty because it's yeah. not steel. It's like some kind of And they are definitely zinc, a much, you know. much heavier rim <laughs> than a triple flange. So what that does with the heavier rim, that is going to take a little bit of the overtones out of the drum and so you get what I used to say about Gretsch and I still say it to this day uh, Gretsch especially that round badge era sound which is the same shell formula by the way that's the same shell formula they use today so the formula hasn't changed but the the Gretsch sound is a tighter more focused sound and a very pure musical sound and when you get uh, a 12 14 18 jazz kit when I tune a kit like that I, all kits, I like to tune my kits <clears throat> almost, uh, not to notes, you can't tune a drum to a note, but you tune them to uh, pitches, <clears throat> relatively uh, complementary pitches. And I like to think of the bass drum as the root note of the chord, and the floor tom is the third, and the rack tom is the fifth, just like, like that, and you get pleasing sounds. An 18-inch Gretsch bass drum is so pure, the sound coming out of it is so pure, and the drums are so musical, that it's easy to see why guys in those jazz combos love them so much. Take that a step further now, and you take that same technology, and you put it out with <clears throat> the larger kits, like Mark Craney's kit with uh, Gino Vanelli. I think he had like three, four rack toms, two floors, a couple bass drums, and the drums sound incredible. So yeah. it's, a, it's a really, really pure tone, and it's different. You know, Ludwig in the, in the <clears throat> 60s, it was a <clears throat> much more rounded bearing edge, their sweet spot was more between that middle to lower tuning. Wouldn't you agree with that because so, of the way they're done? Yeah, the, the, and another thing to think about that's unique to Gretsch, pretty unique to Gretsch, is the, on old kits, if anyone out there ever finds a vintage kit, the toms have a really rounded bearing edge, and then the bass drum and the snare drum is actually kind of like a much sharper edge, and the toms are like a reverse roundover, so they really touch the, you know, the, the head, whereas the, the bass drum and the snare drum, they have like a, a little bit of a sharper edge. And, yeah. and that, that gives you a, a really unique kind of set of yeah. circumstances. Another thing, the toms don't have, on the 60s kits, through, through the 60s, they don't have um, no vent, vent holes. holes. Yeah. Right, no and vent so holes. That's why you get that cool Gretsch uh, badge that's like, it's just a little... With a carpet tack. Yeah, yeah basically carpet tack, it's a carpet right? tack that, <clears throat> that keeps it on. The other thing about what you, what you just said, too, we should mention... There's probably another reason why certain other drummers didn't use the uh, Gretsch kits for big band or other work. And one of the reasons is the, the trick with their snare drums, snare drums were a little funny. In the 50s and in the 60s, the, the snare drums had a tendency to be a little on the boxy side. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a boxy sound. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean it's bad. It's just kind of its own thing. But, it, <laughs> but, but again, it's its own thing. So why that, that would work for guys in the smaller jazz combos, it's probably not gonna work so well if you're trying to push, you know, 18-piece big band and you need that snare drum to be a little more, yeah. project more, be a little sharper. The sensitivity, sometimes it makes it difficult to get sensitivity out towards the edges, which with maybe like a leady single-ply drum from the same era would be really easy to get. And, yeah. and uh, the snare beds on Gretsch's, for whatever reason, they've always cut them through the, 
maybe they weren't doing it in the three ply era, but definitely in the six ply era. They're just really big snare beds. Yeah. I think it's what is it, fifty two strand? Well, no, they, this is uh, this, this is this is the funny thing. They uh, the snare beds were wide, wider than they needed to be. So then a normal set of snare wires would be like eighteen strands of wire. Right. But what what they did at this time, rather than to change the snare bed, they went to something called wide 42. So 42, it was a 42-strand yeah. set of wires yeah. designed to improve the sensitivity. And it, it can be a cool sound. It's just for, uh, it, it's kind of its own thing, and it's it's a very, I, I never use those myself just because they they can maybe muffle the drum a little bit, and I like it to be a little more sensitivity, yeah. you know. But so it I mean, can be a cool sound. So we're not saying it's never good, but no, <laughs> it's just and, and, not for me. The the, the truth on it on the snare drums, mm. the reality is that maybe, <clears throat> you know, fifty fifty. It'll sound one. Maybe half the time you'll get one that can do a lot. Eh, some of the others not so much. Maybe they're just not as versatile. They're not as, as versatile. Yeah, they're as they're fine for for <laughs> a specific thing, but they're not as versatile. Because for playing like a backbeat, it can be a really cool yeah, sound. It's fine uh, if you're if you're doing two and four on the snare. Yeah. But if you're doing like you know lots of little press rolls and doubles and stuff like that, maybe it's a little <laughs> tougher. And now the yeah. the that's that was then. Now uh, Paul Cooper's been running the Gretsch operation for oh my god. <clears throat> 25 well, years? Before, before we get to, yeah, because they're doing all kinds of cool well, stuff Well, I was now. just going to say, the snare drums are phenomenally great, but that's because yeah. they're built a little differently. The snare bed is what it should be, and that makes it a very versatile drum. But they still have a little bit of that character, too. Oh, yeah, so that, of course. I always call like the die-cast hoops punchy. And yeah. so uh, if we go back to the 50s, right? Mm -hmm. So that's when Gretsch was in New York City, and it was, it was in Brooklyn all the way up through the 60s, and they were doing the three-ply shells. So those are maple, poplar, maple. And uh, up until about... Those uh, actually would have had most of them brass hoops, chrome over brass right. hoops. And, and this then, is up until about like uh, 57 yeah. or 8, they and went to the six-ply. Those are like the stick chopper hoops. And what's really unique then is everyone else, Slingerland and Ludwig, uh, <laughs> was doing reinforcement hoops on their drums. With uh, Rogers had a pretty sharp bearing edge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, comparatively, definitely. and Rogers actually had different sharpnesses per drum, yeah. which is very but cool. But Rogers was kind of more like a, you know, a forty-five yeah. edge, a lot like a modern drum, hard, yeah. you know, a hard, mostly maple shell, and a forty-five edge. So it was a very, very wide tuning yeah. range and a very, it projected great. Ludwig and Slingerland still had that rounded edge going right. for that, you know, middle to lower, mid to lower tuning sweet spot. Yeah. And Gretsch had its own little unique thing with the very, a very musical shell, yeah. but dialed down a little bit with the die cast and rims. They, they were the only company to have like the toms be different than the bass and snare. They were, they were yeah. the only company, because Slingerland, it was pretty much all pretty round. Ludwig was a little bit more sharp, and then Rogers was pretty darn sharp. Yeah. Uh, and then um, after that, you, you get into the 60s and the six plies, that would be the only difference is it's six ply, and that's the cross lamination. There's a picture in a catalog with a guy like I think it's two or three guys, two guys standing, standing on, on, a, a shell. on a shell. It's yeah. in, it's in, in that this book. book. Yeah, it's in this book somewhere. Rob Cook's Gretsch book. Get it if you can. They were really proud of that because it's cross laminated in different areas, so it's right. not just six. Yeah. It's not everything is at one seam. There's basically six, six and, plies. Each one is. And they started using staggered. gumwood in the '60s for whatever reason. I don't know right. much about gumwood, but I think it's kind of similar to poplar. Yeah. But. Yeah, so like, it was a maple gumwood shell on the six-ply formula. And you but, wouldn't have that on your outer plies. Yeah. You'd have that on no. the inner plies. And then so, and then, so in the 70s, uh, Baldwin uh, bought, the, bought Gretsch. And then you had the factory moved from New York to, like, I think it was somewhere in the Midwest for a while. And you, it's funny because in the late 60s and, like, 69, 70, if you find a Gretsch kit that looks like it has original metal hoops on the bass drum that's really old, yeah. that's probably when it's from... And sometimes those during the transition, they won't even have bearing edges. Some of the drums I've seen before. There were some strange ones. <laughs> It'll be like I a had flat a, one. I had a beautiful set of Gretsch kits from that later, uh, Gretsch kit from that later era uh, after, you know, into the 70s was a 131622 cherry kit that I used when I was on the road. This was 74. Yeah, 74, 75. And mm. that kit sounded incredible. That was a kit that had the metal bass drum. Did boots. you buy it new or did you get I it used? I bought it new. Oh, nice. Yeah. Where'd you buy that? Oh, God. You remember I don't which know. shop? <laughs> I don't, like, I'm almost 70 years old. I don't even remember what went on back then. But it was, it was a kid. I, I, I bought it. I thought I, I had gotten finally to appreciate, like we were talking about, I got to appreciate the Gretsch drums. Sure. So uh, I, got, I got that kit. 
And I really, really loved it. I played it on the road for quite a long did, time. Did uh, Frank's in Chicago have a have a pretty good Gretsch stock? I'm pretty sure they did. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. They, oh yeah, for and, sure. And then, uh, so yeah, in, into the '70s, then the the difference is they they kept doing the six ply shell, but you'll see that those drums, the bearing edges are all the same later. So the bass drum, the toms, and the snare are going to have, mm-hmm. it's like a 30 degree edge that's much sharper than the roundover reverse roundover edge yeah. but it's that's kind of the modern gretsch edge that's when that was invented is it that you you brought up a point i didn't mention which i should have when we were talking about in the uh, <clears throat> the 60s every drum had its different sound and there was the shell construction and and the gretsch edge like the rogers were like a 45 the ludwigs were what we call baseball bat and slingerland very round but the gretsch was a 30. so the 30 degree edge you get a little bit little bit of contact that 30 degree edge is not as sharp. So that makes a little bit of contact with the head to add a little bit of muffling to take some overtones out. Yeah. You've got the, mu- the beautifully musical shell with no reinforcement rings, but then you get the die cast hoops. So you get a little bit of muffling and a little bit of focusing of the tone. Yeah. And that's why it's so pure and clear and clean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons why they're so pure and clean. You know, another thing I like about Gretsch, they weren't always trying to reinvent the wheel when it came to strainers. So they have really two main strainers that if you have a professional level kit, yeah. it's either going to have. It's either going to have a lightning strainer, which was micro. in the 70s, or the micro, which yeah. is the one that looks like a tombstone, yeah. which is in 60s or 50s. And it's not like Slingerland, where in the same two decades, they went through probably 20 different different types yeah. of strainers. They it's stuck. a good point about... There's a student model one, but it's there mostly... Is, but, yeah. but yeah, but I mean, but it's a good point. Um, and probably, again, you know, everybody could argue this in a number of different ways, but Gretsch was not stuck in the, uh, stuck's the wrong word. Ludwig and Slingerland were right there in the middle of rock and roll and the innovations necessary to support rock and roll. So maybe it was more color. In the or, same city, too. <laughs> no, but I'm, what <laughs> I'm talking about. Against each other. But no, no, it isn't even that. It isn't even just talking about within the, uh, the genre of music. Ludwig and Slingerland would be seen more in uh, rock bands, and rock bands would need more uh, enhancements to the hardware because they're playing the drums harder, so they need to change the hardware. Or maybe they wanted more color options or things like that. And so I think innovation for Ludwig and Slingerland was driven more by who was buying their drums and what their needs were. And Gretsch didn't really just change to change. If that what they were doing was working all through the 50s and 60s, I mean, it's all basically pretty much the same stuff. The floor tom legs, kind of like they are what they are. Yeah. Uh, the tom holder, it didn't... Some people would say, well, they weren't progressive enough. But hey, if the customers who wanted those <laughs> drums were happy with that, that's fine. Don't yeah, change had, it for the sake of change. They've always had a metal snare, but oh, yeah. other, and that, other than that, it's either a metal or a wood snare. And then with, yeah, with Gretsch, they don't have a version of like a super sensitive with, you yeah. know, like multiple strainers. And they don't have like... Other companies like came up with like the tone flange, or everyone All was always battling to come yeah. with the new snare I mean, drum. <laughs> Gretsch had you got your generally you had eight lug snare drums. <clears throat> they were wood or they were metal. They had a lightning throw off or they had a microsensitive throw off, unless they were like a student model and the yeah. different story. But it wasn't. Uh, you know, it wasn't all that wild and crazy. And then, yeah, so, and then eventually, uh, Fred in the 80s, it's a couple different badges you'll see, uh, right. some that are kind of rare and kind of cool uh, in the book, if anyone uh, is interested in picking one of those up. Uh, and then in the 80s, uh, he bought the name back. He bought the company back. Yeah, Fred, uh, <clears throat> I've known the whole company. I've yeah, known yeah. Fred for it's kind of a cool story, too. <laughs> a long time. Yeah. And uh, I give, I always give Fred, absolutely give Fred credit because. When the company got sold to Baldwin, he was really, really upset about that, but he was very young, and there wasn't a hell of a lot he could do about it. I mean, he was in no position to try to raise the money to, you know, buy the company himself. So the company was sold to Baldwin, but Fred always wanted to get it back. And it was right around, I think it was 85, 6, it's in the book. I, I don't remember the date that well, but he bought the company back from Baldwin, and that was good because under Baldwin, you know, Baldwin was was Baldwin. I mean, they made pianos, organs, uh, other instruments, but it wasn't really, it wasn't the same. It was not a family-owned business anymore. And there were a lot of fits and starts and things that worked and things that didn't work. And, you know, you, 
enough of that stuff. You basically get to that point. Fred bought the company back. It's the only American drum company of the big four or five that's still owned by the family. Oh yeah, yeah. Because Lud- I mean, Ludwig hasn't been owned by the family for yeah. for. Well, for a long time. And that happened kind of similarly on and on. It went back and forth yeah. a little bit. I mean, the, Ludwig, <laughs> since they sold it, since uh, the chief sold it to uh, Con Selmer, it was, you know, that, that's never been back in the family. Yeah. So, B3's got his own company, but yeah, but but yeah the, but the original uh, ones. This yeah, is, the uh, original. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's very, uh, it's, it's great that Fred bought it back, and that was wonderful, and he still owns it today. DW, of course, as, as we know, DW runs... Um, the operational side of this. So basically, DW is responsible for all of the manufacturing. And they're another great company that's owned by the original family, too. But oh, absolutely. But they're just so but, much newer. But that was so much newer. They're, I'm counting the yeah, old You're talking here, into yeah. the much, way into the <laughs> 70s when, when Don started DW. But uh, they have now, they do all the manufacturing. The facility uh, that uh, Paul Cooper runs is still there. He's there with his team, and he's still making the drums. He's been making the drums there for, God, I think it's 25 years now he's been there. And I met him uh, two weeks after he started out at the Chicago show. So um, it was a we, good... We should talk about what they're doing now and what they've been doing for the last maybe 20 years because we, we left off in 1985, right around there when he bought it back. Mm-hmm. And they... Maple, maple um, Gumwood six-ply formula. Yeah. That stays the same. It seems to me as though one of the, the things that happened was Gretsch, that, that hadn't really been true before, is they got really renowned for their lacquers... Because the they they're really proud that they use the nitrocellulose lacquer. They don't use a plastic. They use kind of the same one that that has yeah. always been used. Yeah. And it seems to me like that's maybe in the '80s is when that kind of happened. You see those like cherry red and uh, oh, finishes walnut. Are, yeah, yeah, it's then, beautiful. Yeah, the finishes are beautiful. They do such a great job. And and then uh, KMC got involved at one point, just like on the well, distribution. Well, KMC angle. was the distribution uh, partner again. You know, Fred still owns the company. He always has owned the company at one yeah. point. KMC, which is a division of command, was um, involved in distribution, and then KMC was bought by Fender. So Fender owned KMC that was doing the distribution, and on and on and on, and eventually... Uh, you will hear people, some people, because they, they get their raw shells from... Uh, they used to get it from a company called Jasper. That's another thing. That's These right. are the six plies. I'm pretty sure the three plies were probably made in-house way, way long ago. I don't actually know that, but I think that. So if anyone in the comments wants to t- tell me differently, yeah. but I'm pretty sure and when I, they were in New York, they I were making their own shells. I think it's in the book, but anyway, keep talking. Okay. But, but yeah, the you got Keller making shells after, what was that, like maybe the year 2000, right around then, when Jasper stopped making uh, the shells? 2003 or four is when uh, Jasper stopped making shells, and right. so the shells were made by Keller to the exact same formula yeah. that they were all the time. Now... Um, so the, the shelves were great. The shelves have never changed. And that formula is the same. Now, uh, DW makes the shell in-house in California for the Gretsch which drums. Is, which is great. Which yeah, is great. Yeah. The, and and you've, got, uh, you've got these uh, six-ply <clears throat> shells that that's all that they made. And they would all have that same kind of 30-degree... 30 30-degree 30 edge. Very, yeah, and absolutely. Gretsch's have a really distinct, punchy sound, the, the, the toms. It's funny because it seems to me like there's a lot of uh, jazz enthusiasts for, this, for these drums. And then they also have like a, kind of like hard rock following, too. A lot of the hard rock guys yeah. really love the die-cast hoops and that classic Gretsch mm-hmm. sound. Well, and then also <laughs> you have to mention that back, and I'd have to pull this date out of my pocket here, but um, <laughs> when they reintroduced the three-ply drums, Broadcaster, um, I had the first production drums, and I remember Paul Cooper and I talking about that, that they wanted to do the three-ply, so again... Yeah, this is, this is where, yeah, right, so where we now, arrive, yeah. <laughs> now, the broad, Broadcaster series, which is um, the revival of the three-ply shell. Right. So the three-ply shell is there with the reverse roundover bearing edges. This and was all. like... 2014 they did this maybe even a little uh, earlier it's earlier than that yeah i mean it's it's Time probably flies. around early 2000s and the the way they decided to do these drums for everyone out there i'm getting into kind of real specifics here they the the bass drums and the toms have that same reverse roundover edge right. that the toms used to have in the 60s That's but right. the snare drums have like the more modern uh 45 or it's it's a 30 degree edge not 45 30 yeah and and they uh that gives you, yeah, a little more kind of like sensitivity on the snare drum, but then a real nice round, punchy sound. I always say yep. for like studio recordings that the the, uh, the broadcasters, 
they, um, you won't need to muffle them as much because they kind of have just a nice punchy sound. They came out with 302 hoops. Yeah, that's the other thing too because in the 50s, like we said before, the the hoop was a double flange, which we used to call a stick chopper because they were quite sharp. What they did when they brought the reintroduction of broadcaster out was they did a double flange rim Again, but a little thicker, so that it would do wouldn't do a lot of damage to the hoops. So the broadcaster to series, sticks, yeah, to, to the sticks. They call them stick choppers because if you're playing, especially rock with the left hand, it's gonna just you know. Yeah, the like sticks will start shattering. So this is a thicker one. It'll be easier on your sticks, but it is still a double flange. So it's going to be a more open sound than USA Custom because yeah. USA Customs got that that heavy die cast rim with the thirty degree edge. So. This is, uh, but the Broadcaster series is great. Uh, we had the, the first uh, two, uh, there were four different configurations out, and we had the first drums for a couple of those configurations, and it was great. Uh, and they're still great drums. And, yeah. and then they added the Brooklyn series, which is uh, kind of, I call it like a close cousin to USA Custom. It gets a little confusing here, because they both start with a B, but the Brooklyn is, it's got the new edges... Right. And then, but then that's actually instead of maple and gumwood, that's maple and poplar. Right. And so it's so, a six ply. the same wood as right. the three plies. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, it, but it's a, I don't a know six why ply. They did that. <laughs> well, but you know, it's an interesting thing because it sort of allows what, what Brooklyn does, and I, I, I think it's great. USA Custom and Broadcaster have all the customization features you want. So you can get right. any size. You know. And you can call back in 20 years, and you can get a drum match. That's the yeah. thing about Gretsch. Yeah. They do such a good job yeah. with their customers from many years ago. Oh, so yeah. you buy a great kit, just one phone call away. Yeah. I can have, you know, send them a little picture. Oh, yeah, we can match that. Yeah, and I mean, Paul will even say, send me a drum. 50 years old. <laughs> yeah, and in worst case scenario, send them a drum, and they'll match it perfectly. They, right. they are incredible. But what they, what they did <laughs> with Broadcaster and USA Custom now, what you have is, a ream of sizes, pretty much anything you could ever want. A ream of finishes, whether it's a wrap finish, a satin oil finish, or a gloss lacquer finish. So it's the ultimate for customization. Brooklyn's a little different. So what Brooklyn gives you is a version of the Great Gretsch sound, a little bit of a different version. So you got that six-ply shell like you d- talked about. You've got a 45 edge, but you've got double flange 302 hoops on it, so it's a little bit of a hybrid. But yeah, a little more resonant, though. Yeah. <laughs> the beautiful part say. of it is it's still USA-made by Paul and his team. Yeah. It's much less expensive, but that's primarily because there's limited sizes available and limited finishes available so that they can produce it yeah. more easily and more efficiently and keep the costs down. Perfect for, like, a studio or maybe a house kit or even, like, a kit that you want to bring out. doesn't maybe have the exact custom make you know build that you wanted but yeah. but i mean for the somebody with the wraps they're real tough yeah, scratch play, out of deal. you know 13 16 22 or whatever it is and um the hmm. brook you've got a usa custom kit but you need a second kit maybe that brooklyn kit's the kit yeah. you buy save some money and the sound is like i say it's very close cousin is what i call it to usa custom so it's and a now, great line and wait one more thing yeah. what's important about that is it opens up the market to a broader group of, of buyers. So if you got somebody who goes, you know, man, I really want a Gretsch USA kit. That's ultimately what I want, but I just don't have the, the bucks to do it. Well, you know, if, if the same four-piece kit in Brooklyn is about a thousand bucks less. You can get into the Gretsch brand and be proud of the drums you're playing, USA made Gretsch, and then down the line, you know, as you make a little more money and get more gigs and the like, you can sell that kit and you can yeah. you can buy your USA Custom. You yeah, know? it's not. And then you know, if, if you're like entry level, it's your first Gretsch kit ever. You can get like the Catalina. Those are those are great too. I've used those as yeah. like gigging kits as well. And like every other company, uh, Gretsch has that's like an import an yeah. import line, and the import line runs anywhere down from as as inexpensive as the uh, Catalina Club kits. Uh, they're very inexpensive, but they're very nice, and they work great. It's a great take it to a rehearsal, you know, yeah. it's a rehearsal kit, or uh, in a teaching studio if you need things. It, they're great. They sound great, and then you can move up the line. They've got different different series there, and including the Renown series and other things where they're well-made drums. It's just a whole, you know, different price points, so you've got the ability to draw more people into the Gretsch family at all those different price points. But sure. the, for what we do, we don't really do much at all with uh, imports. Us, meaning my, uh, the Maxwell shops. Forks, which we also own. Forks is a different scenario because they are more 
of a true full-line shop where they serve all tiers of the market, so they'll carry uh, all the different uh, you know, price tiers. Yeah. But for us, it's, it's basically USA Custom Broadcaster in Brooklyn. And then we also do those in uh, the special colors that they do Yeah, for that was us. a note I was going to say. The, our our uh, Fiesta and then Mardi Gras. The, these are finishes. Why don't you talk about those a little bit? Because yeah. that was a thing we did with Gretsch a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, a long, long time ago. I wanted to do some special finishes, and I talked with um, Gretsch. This was uh, when it was still when KMC was still doing the distribution for them. And what we wanted to do was to do Mardi Gras. And what Mardi Gras is basically is uh, a black background with what looks like confetti, different, uh, different colors and different uh, little, little different shapes. And that was a finish that was uh, out in the 50s and 60s. There was a Rogers had a Mardi Gras finish, Slingerland had one, uh, Leedy had one. And we wanted to do that. So we did that. And they did it exclusively for us. And then we also decided to do Fiesta Pearl, which was, again, a similar finish, but basically a white background with yeah. confetti. So we did that. And then they've also done for us some additional finishes. One is Espresso Burst, which is basically uh, what looks like a, a brown coffee color that kind of fades into the center, which is then uh, white and then to the bottom, which is brown again, but it White looks like pearl. a yeah. marine pearl. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful finish uh, that they do uh, specifically for us. Based on an original kit, by the way. There Joe was Loma. an original kit, Another yes. podcast with him if you're interested in it. Our friend collector. Joe Loma <laughs> had a, brought a kit to the Chicago show in that finish. And as a matter of fact, the picture of that kit is in this book. And you can probably put that up for everybody, so yeah. <laughs> Jake will take care of that. Exactly. He, <laughs> uh, he, he brought this kit down, and I'm looking at him going, oh, my God, that's crazy. And this was like a round badge era kit, so it was like a 50s era kit. Yeah. I said, that's wild. I don't know how that got done. So I took pictures of it, and I sent the pictures to Paul Cooper, and I said, Paul, do you think we could do this? And Paul was looking at it going like, well, it's white marine pearl, and, you know, we could tint it at the top and tinted at the bottom with, you know, so it's like a coffee color and then kind of like faded to the white marine and then yeah. back to the other. But he said, you know, he said, that would be a real pain in the rear end and a lot of work. He said, I bet we could get Delmar to make that as yeah. a rep. They could have probably done it with like lacquer or something, but yeah. Yeah, but that would be a royal pain. So what they yeah. did was, I, I, Joe was gracious enough to loan me the nine by 13 from the kit. I shipped it down to Paul. Paul, uh, they went and they had uh, the guys at Del Mar make up a bunch of samples, and uh, they nailed it. They right. nailed it dead on, so that's been something we've done for a number of years. I've sold, I actually sold one of those to a, a jazz club that I play at sometimes, and it looks beautiful. It's a really it cool a beautiful finish. Kit. Out, in, out in Elburn, if anyone knows uh, the uh, old Elburn Hall, go see jazz there. They do it like every... Every week, every other. Oh, week, that's a great! Like that. It's a great little place. Yeah, you've been there. Yeah, you saw me. Oh, play it's a great way. place. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, we do that, and we also do uh, what is like a burgundy sparkle. It's called Merlot sparkle. That's a great. Uh, finish, it's yeah. a great finish. So, it's uh, you know, it's been great to have those those finishes, uh, proprietary ones for us. That's yeah. that's always great fun. We do the, well with those. Those the it's funny because the the Fiesta and the Mardi Gras they weren't originally Gretsch finishes. No, not but, at all. But now now they've they've become classic you know Gretsch finishes for us. And and uh, we should talk about some of the old finishes that are rare that people are looking oh, for. God, yeah. Why not? You know, for, yeah, for well, those no, of you for sure. into the vintage stuff, uh, especially fifties maybe in the fifties. Yeah. So you had in the fifties you had three finishes that weren't in the color line for very long. Uh, one of them was Cadillac Nitron Green. One of them was Copper Mist, and the other one was Cameo Coral. Yeah. And to be brutally honest, I have never, ever once seen an original Cameo Coral. Yeah, I was, if anyone kit. has one, send a picture. I, I know of <laughs> one that was, um, was redone. They Let's turned put kind it that of pink way. over time, too. Well, yeah, yeah, but I saw one that was redone, so it's it was like not original. originally, yeah. yeah. But, it, but I've never seen a Cameo Coral, so there it is. Uh, <laughs> Copper Mist was a finish that was only in the line for about four years, 54 to 58, and is very rare. Um, but uh, Elvis's drummer's kit was copper mist is, with the uh, yeah. unshaved calf head on it, 13, 16, 22. Very, uh, where is that kit? It's got to be somewhere. Uh, it is. It is. Um, Museum somewhere? Uh, <laughs> I know um, that kit was purchased, and I think that's... Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, maybe? No, I think that's in uh, Charlie Watts's collection over in the U.K. Oh, really? I think cool. so. You may have told me that before. That's I think cool. I think so. 
I, I was not responsible for that uh, transaction, but I'm pretty sure that's where it is. Uh, but then there was also Cadillac Nitron Green. And the thing about Cadillac Nitron Green, you say, well, where'd that come from? Well, Gretsch used to use color like that on their guitars. Right. Uh, the Gretsch guitars. <clears throat> and uh, this Cadillac Green was basically done with 24 karat gold hardware. <clears throat> so it was an incredibly expensive set, if you can think of that. So nobody had the money to buy. I think it was like, I don't know, eight or $900 in 1955. That was just like craziness. There's nice brass hoops. And then some of those even have uh, die-cast hoops all coated with uh, yeah. like the early die-cast hoops. Yeah. So there's a, there's, for those listening, on your snare drum, sometimes you'll have a proto die-cast hoop which is a die-cast hoop that's like the first version of it. Yeah. That's a, and I'm not, I don't even know. I don't think those are made out of brass. I'm pretty sure they're made out of the pot yeah, metal, the same pot stuff metal. later. The edge is sharp. It's and sharper edge. But, it's but around the yeah. ear is is. It's still thick. a die-cast. Die-cast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those but are those, cool, those are the three <clears throat> rarest finishes. Oh, and then uh, don't forget Peacock Sparkle, which is well, right. like my favorite finish. Right. I've Pe got, it always fades. It looks yellow later. But. Right. Peacock Sparkle <laughs> was another short-lived finish, and you go... If you look, you go, well, it looks like champagne sparkle. Well, it kind of is, but Fades it's, to that. Yeah. what it is is it was like a champagne sparkle, but it had red and green flecks in it. And pink. <clears throat> and pink. Yeah. <laughs> Very bright. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's a cool finish. Yeah. I think they should redo that, Gretsch. So if anyone's listening, well, we had talked Danmar, about that. Gretsch, we got to do that. Yeah, we had talked about that. The problem no is... No one would buy it. <laughs> the, no, the problem is this. It, it would not be... Well, first of all, nobody's making anything that's a champagne sparkle anymore because it has copper in it, and they don't want to... And it's too expensive. But that... I don't um, think this would have copper in it. Well, the peacock is kind of bright colors. Champagneish. You, you might be thinking of the faded ones. Remember when they were original? They were like bright green, bright pink, and bright silver sparkles in there. I think you'd get away yeah, with that. But I copper. think the background is a little pinkish. <laughs> I'll talk to Dan more. We'll and see. <laughs> the bottom line is, it would be very, very difficult to. Um, I think the main show issue that. is no one would buy it because it's such a. Loud finish, you know. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> no one's made well, one in seven years. Let's put it years. this way: it's a very rare finish, <laughs> and um, the easiest way to check on something like that is to uh, look under a lug. Sure. If you get an example, you say, "Well, it kind of looks like champagne sparkle." Just take a lug off yeah. and look under the lug, and you can see. But it's got those flecks in it. That's a very rare finish. Um, Incidentally, my favorite kit that I use for like a vintage kit if I bring it out. That's the old faded one. It's yeah. a 2013-16. And it basically just lo it looks like gold sparkle. That's yeah, what it, it looks, looks like, like to me. Well, it looks like faded gold sparkle. Yeah. yeah. And then, and But if you take a lug off, it's like yeah. these bright colors. <laughs> but those, you know, so there are no, uh, no good examples of kits uh, that I've seen in Peacock. There, but there, there are probably... There's a couple I've handled out there. maybe two or three that were good, strong it, examples. Another odd thing about the Peacock kits, I'm pretty sure originally they were the only Gretsch kits that I know of that weren't rocket lugs, but were nickel-plated lugs. I'm pretty sure those had nickel-plated hardware on them for whatever reason. Hmm. I'm pretty sure, because I know true. mine like mine looks like nickel. That's just a fun yeah. little fact. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, so but then... Cat, then well, but cat, you got to talk about it for a second. I mean... Oh, Birdland? No, Cameo Coral, I've never seen oh, yeah. any kits. <laughs> sure. uh, Copper Mist, you see them. I've got, uh, I've got actually one right now. Yeah. Um, and I've cool had one. Check it out several very, very nice examples of that. And Cadillac Green, you know, give or take, there's probably about mm, 15 or so known complete kits. Just talk about the Birdland connection. Yeah. <laughs> there was uh, a kit used in Birdland. Uh, the house kit in Birdland was a Cadillac green kit uh, with gold hardware. That was the, and I don't know where that kit is. I have no clue. Uh, but 22-13-16? It was 22-13-16 <laughs> with this 5.5-by-14 uh, snare, and who knows where it is. I wish I knew where it was. All the people that had played that, that drum set, oh, my God. So that was like in New York probably in the 60s, throughout no, the whole 60s. In the 50s. So. I mean, that was yeah. in the 50s and through... I mean, club. I don't know when, when they swapped it out, but it was there in the mid-50s, and, you know, when Charlie Parker came through there and everybody else, Max Roach, and playing on that kit yeah. with Dizzy's band and God knows who. I mean, it would have just been incredible. But there are very few known examples. I've handled maybe, oh, I don't know, six. Yeah, probably about six of the larger kits. And then we had what is arguably the finest known example. It was a 12-14-20, or at least the rarest, with a 4x14 Max Roach snare. 
with all of the original uh, K Istanbul symbols that came with it. That kit was one of the most incredible things of all. But very yeah. rare finish, very Gretsch, rare stuff. Gretsch was the distributor for K Istanbul, Istanbul in the 60s, too. They That's were. another fun kind of Yeah, K Istanbul thing. symbols were distributed by Gretsch right through sometime yeah. in the 60s. If you ever get an old stopped. one, they would have a little G on them sometimes. I think that might have meant, yeah. meant they were Gretsch. But, but then, so, so yeah, so nowadays, a lot of the times people ask me, when they call, like, what? why should I go for either a Brooklyn, a USA Custom, or a Broadcaster? You want to answer, answer that? Because yeah. that's a big question we always get. It is, and it's sort of along the lines of what I had said before. What I usually ask people, is, I used to say, say, look, what kind of music do you play? That's what I usually ask them. And if the guy says to me, well, you know, I play exclusively, I, I, I'm in a blues band. I say, okay. So you probably, and then I ask him, how do you tune your drums? Well, I tune them like, you know, medium or low. Okay, okay. So what I'll usually say is, well, you know, you probably want a broadcaster kit because it's got that, you know, that three-ply. It's, it's got that more rounded edge. It's going to be best in that mid to low tuning. Or if some guy tells me I play, uh, I, all, I, all I play is a, you know, jazz trio. I say, well, okay, you probably want USA Custom, 12, 14, 18, 12, 14, 20 maybe, hmm. you know, where you get that tighter, more focused sound. And then somebody might say, well, you know, I play a bunch of different things. And say, well, okay, then USA Custom is real versatile, but Brooklyn's real versatile too. So if monetarily there's a consideration there that you, a USA Custom would be best for overall versatility, but if you have a budget constraints, get a Brooklyn. That's yeah. what I usually tell people. Yeah, and the, the Brooklyn's going to sound really good, but yeah, it's just if you're, most people go for the standard sizes. So if you can do standard sizes, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I always say that the the broadcasters you don't need to muffle as much, so so like yeah, my my mm -hmm. advice is is just for maybe a little more of like an old school, but uh, like you know you, you set up one of those and the toms you put no muffling on them, uh, you might not have to, uh, right. you know, and and they they'll still sound good. I, I like but those you know, in the studio. And that's a good that's a good point you bring up because um, one of the things that we started with Gretsch many many years ago was uh, something called vintage build out. And what we mean by that was uh, Gretsch still was manufacturing all of the same components that they used during the round badge Which era. is great that they do that. <laughs> right. So the T-Rods. The they have T-Rods. But they also still manufactured the internal tone controls <clears throat> that go on the toms and the tone control called the Pratt muffler that goes on the bass drum. Yeah, those would have come standard till the end of the 70s. Sounds about right, yeah. yeah. So then what... what what you could do, the only thing they didn't have was the uh, rail console at Tom Holder, but I went and had those manufactured. Right. So at that point in time, what we could then do was to have you special order, <clears throat> and they made the diamond bracket, by the way, the diamond bracket for the floor tom legs and cymbal alarm. Yeah. So what you could do then at that point, we could order for you a quote-unquote Gretsch vintage build kit, and it would look exactly like a round badge era kit Right yeah. down to the to the nth degree, it's like oh, it looks like a brand new yeah. '60s era kit. They even have the uh, uh, the the micro sensitive strainer. Right, newer version, slightly newer. A new but version same, that works really well. Same look. and the snap in <laughs> key holder, you can still get that. That was so yeah. all of those things are there. It's nice because they. I I feel like they had such a simple hardware catalog because it's really it was the old stuff which they still make, and then there's maybe 20 years of like. Techware, that's what they call mm -hmm. it, which is the heavier duty stuff. Yeah. No one really makes that anymore. Yeah. But it's mostly compatible with the modern stuff. Yeah. So you got the modern stuff, you got that little middle era, and then you got the old stuff. And uh, there's enough, uh, you know, that they can remake all of it, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> and all that techware stuff, like you're talking about, that was back. You start getting into the era in the <clears throat> 70s and later where Gretsch is now making inroads and bands that are, rock bands are using it. So they need yeah. different hardware. They need uh, sturdier stands, <clears throat> different types of uh, mounting hardware, all of those types of things. Whereas the jazz guys go, yes, give me the flat bass cymbal stands and the flat bass stands, they're, they're, they don't take up much room on the stage. They get the job done, they're lightweight, right. and off we go, you know? Yeah, when uh, it, it, throughout the 80s, uh, and then, like maybe '90s, any ideas on like some endorsers from Gretsch that that you went out to see? They, oh. 
It's yeah. interesting because yeah, they, a lot like I was saying, a lot of like uh, uh, harder rock guys t- tend to like them. Uh, I think it's because of that just punchy sound. Well, you know <laughs> those those diecast. I tubes. bet I can find that real fast in the book here because <clears throat> the book is better than my memory because I can't. I always say you have a great memory for remembering endorses. <laughs> I always say that about of you. Of course. Well, when we start talking about just <clears throat> excuse me, the fifties and the sixties, you got Elvin Jones, you got Art Blakey, you got Tony Williams, you got. Yeah. Philly Joe, Papa Joe, Tony I Williams mean, Yellow. Mond. Tony, Tony Williams Yellow. That's another kind of oh, rare Gretsch finish. It's really a Gretsch finish. You go to, it is, and it's been in the color line forever, so it's not like you can't... Uh, Did they make that specifically for him, I wonder? No, I don't think, they had before. think that's true. Uh, I think the deal with that is just that uh, Tony liked that finish, so over the course of time it just, got, it just came sure. to be known as Tony Williams Yellow. Yeah. All right, here we go. Gretsch, <clears throat> Gretsch artist. Okay, great jazz player, Joe LaBarbera. He is a dyed-in-the-wool Gretsch fan, still playing his round badge kit to, these, to this day. Yeah. He's great. Well, of course, Charlie Watts. Oh, sure, I mean, yeah. And of course, you know, Charlie <laughs> played Gretsch forever and ever. Uh, but Steve Ferroni, uh, he's, he's a great uh, longtime Gretsch artist. Of course, good, good pal of ours, Vinny Coliuta. I mean, Vinny, sure. you know, Vinny's back in the Gretsch family. He's, he was for quite a while, and... Uh, moved around a little, but is back there again. Nice. But and of course, Actually, uh, know that. <laughs> another friend of ours, Cindy Blackman. I mean, yeah, Cindy's sure. been a Gretsch devotee forever and ever. Saw one of her clinics at the drum <clears throat> show maybe ten years ago. It was it was oh, really she's great. She's great. She she absolutely kills it. She's and what so much a, energy. <laughs> and and such a sweet person. And she's great. But I mean, there's so many people. Well, Phil Collins was a Gretsch artist for a while. Let's just look and see here. It'll, it'll refresh my memory. Oh, they got even historical ones in there. Yeah, Denny Sewell, who was uh, played with Paul McCartney in Wings. Um, of course, you know we already said Charlie Watts. I said Mark Craney when he was with Gino Vanelli. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of people. I mean, Bill Stewart was a Gretsch artist for for quite a while. I'm a big well. Bill Stewart fan. He's a great drummer. Yeah. Oh, Bill is great. Yeah. So I mean, there were just tons of people. Uh, just you know, uh, let's see what else we got. Yeah, Graham Lear, who was. Uh, a drummer in San, um, as as well, great great drummer. Um, what do we got? Oh man, there's just so many. It's just uh, the list goes on and on and on. At one point, Carl Palmer played Gretsch, but only for a little while. <clears throat> yeah, and, a, note, um, a note about uh, when we started as as the drum shop. So we started in downtown <clears throat> Chicago. I mean, it really started with your collection, but then uh, when we yeah, the if fine you arts would, building. yeah, there, there's a postcard which I'll, I'll try and find a, a picture of where we would. When you used to walk into the drum shop, that early on, it was all about the round badge stuff. And for those who aren't familiar, most people listening probably know this, but the, the Gretsch 18-inch bass drum, or even more, the much-coveted 16-inch oh, bass drum, it, yeah. those are kind of the probably the most solid investment you could make as a collector for just a kit, because they just they always... Like yeah. our really, everyone wants one. Yep. And uh, and when we first started, we would have like a row. Now they wouldn't be 18s, but you have like 22s, well, we had some. some 20s. <clears throat> we have maybe like ten, at some point yeah. like maybe 10 round there's, badge there's kits that, in a row. It's a picture. We've got yeah. like a, a row of about 15 round badge kits, starting with one with right. an 18, and and yeah, on. Now it's. You, you might see that here every now and then these days, maybe like right after a big drum show, yeah. maybe see like five round badge kits. Yeah. But to see that many in a row is so cool because we can't keep them around yeah. that much. Everyone wants one. Yeah. Actually, I have on its way to me, <laughs> I have a um, round badge 12, 14, 18, five and a half by 14 burgundy sparkle coming. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that'll be here in a week or so. Um, Trade deal or? <laughs> uh, no, it's a, I <clears throat> sold it to a good friend of mine a long time ago, and he's thinning the herd. Sure. And so he's uh, sending it down to me. Uh, so that'll be here. That burgundy sparkle is a is another uh, rarer color. Not it was in the color line for a long time, but you don't see as many. Yeah. But it was also um, you know the Art Blakey. It's and, more a '60s, yeah. The, yeah, and Art then, Blakey, Mel Lewis were the guys who who played yeah, burgundy yeah, sparkle yeah. a lot. But what you said, let me jump back <laughs> to one other thing: the 16-inch bass drum thing. That yeah. is uh, that is uh, factual. It's true. I mean, they made kits with 16s. I've got. Photos of Elvin playing a kit with a 16. Uh, so, you know, you've got uh, Art had a kit with a 16. People try to fake these, too. Oh, so. of course. Yeah, I mean, be they, they, very careful. Yeah, that, you know. Don't ever a, buy un, unseen. It's a 16-inch <laughs> floor time that's been cut down, and the holes were right. plugged, and somebody re-painted the tell. interior. And yeah. eh, it's like, you know, forget it. <laughs> um, 
But, and also some people try to palm off, well, it, it's, suffice it to say, don't ever buy one of those unless you're buying it from a dealer who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, but there are 16-inch bass drum kits out there. Not many, but they're there. Uh, and they're, they're super, super rare. Uh, they're a little bit less utility because it's a 16. I mean, it is what it is. But uh, the most coveted uh, and usable is a 12, 14, 18 with matching snare round badge or a kit. Even without the matching snare, because everybody's got their own favorite snares. But right. jazz players, uh, they'll take one of those round badge era kits, even if it's player grade kit. You know, it's like, oh, it's yeah. got extra holes or patch up, rewrapped. We or don't care. Yeah. We don't care. Yeah, the um, uh, there are some cool uh, satin flame finishes they did in the '60s. Mm. Moon glow satin flame. Oh, they did the, the standards. Flame. Yeah, the, the standards were like an aqua, uh, a yellow, which they called gold satin flame. There was a white, and then they did. Yeah, there were some, well, there were a lot. There was a horrible one that was called Olive that looked just like oh, yeah. putrid It's green. super rare, though. So. I know, yeah, but it's just horrible. It. <laughs> and there was Moonglow Satin no Flame, <laughs> Peacock Satin Flame. Yeah. There were a lot of interesting things there. Noah's um, favorite is Moonglow. He has a beautiful... Yeah, he does. If you look up, we're doing our own setup videos, so that'll be his his vintage setup and... 2013 16 that he has yeah, yeah it's, it's a beautiful cool kit. kit it's really the satin flame finishes made today uh are really nice and durable back in uh when they first came out they were i i usually say they they look like you had turned a bunch of chickens yeah. loose on them because they're all yeah, scratched they, it's, up it's weird they crack i think that that might even be the wood from humidity or some people think if it's because they get banged, but I'm not. Yeah, they, it happens. Yeah, you know, they almost they all have the this little spider cracking bit yeah. that goes on, but they also scratched very easily. So you almost yeah. always, it's really really hard to find a clean, truly but clean kit. Good news too, from far away, you can't really see the no, imperfections. So don't rewrap them unless you absolutely unless they're, yeah. you know, so awful. Yeah. Well, if you feel, like, you know, you own it, you feel like rewrapping it, that's but, fine. But Moonglow Satin Flame didn't Art Blakey have one of those kits? He, yeah, he's he known for the Moonglow, and I, I well, really like the Moonglow. Art too. had a Moonglow Satin Flame. Uh, 12, 14, 16-inch bass drum yeah. when, uh, when they did Giants of Jazz. I wonder where that now, is. Now, <laughs> I don't know where that is, but he also had, and I had sold this kit, uh, Gretsch had made for him a 9x13, 10x14, 16x18, 14x24 that was made for him. A big band kit. <laughs> and, and the way Art played, the amount of thunder that Art would get out of his little 12, 14, 18 kit, yeah. I can't imagine what it would have been like to hear him play on that kit. 13, yeah. 14, 18 with the 24. Right, right. would have been incredible. But uh, I did, uh, I was involved in the sale of that kit. Nice. Yeah, the, the Gretsch drums, they just have this visceral quality about them. They're, they're just, they're just very, yeah, another way to say the kind of a punchy sound. The bass drums too. Yeah. I, I think the bass drums, you know, the, the and the toms, uh, they, they're, they're different from each other, especially the 60s stuff, that, in, in my opinion. You get a vintage kit. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Gretsch shells mm -hmm. another unique quality about Gretsch vintage drums in particular. Mm -hmm. they, they started making undersized shells, but I think Gretsch was a little behind on that curve. So when the other companies, Lee was the one who invented it, but all the other ones were making slightly undersized shells so modern heads can fit on those drums, yeah. which all companies make now, undersized. Right. Uh, Gretsch was still making the actual size. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of. That's why some of those so early you, kits yeah. are hard to fit modern heads on, except yeah. now all the head companies, <clears throat> all right. of them, they have a special, have a special <laughs> called a vintage head, which is allowed, yeah. which allows for it to fit on those slightly, what we call slightly oversized shells. Right. Yeah. And that, Another, that gives you, that it does make a difference in the sound. All these little things, you might think like, oh, that's not a big deal, but they all add up. And that's why. Yeah. I mean, when I when I do sound files, I pretty much always the vintage kits like, ooh, wow, that's 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 cool, and it's a tool to use in the yeah. studio. That well, everyone, you should have a modern and I, kit and a vintage. And kit. And I'll tell you, know? you a couple other things <laughs> before we close off. Uh, Louis Belson um, had a Gretsch kit, and he was a Gretsch artist in the '50s uh, with uh, Duke Ellington. When he was with Duke Ellington, he had a Gretsch kit. But before that kit, he had a kit, and when there's a picture of it in the book, <clears throat> it was. Uh, Louis was the first person to really do two bass drums. He had two 20 by 20 bass drums, which was a size unheard of at the time. Yeah. In the center, he had a large cocktail drum, and he had two sets of smaller toms to the left and right of it, and of course, floor toms. Yeah. And um, what I did was I ordered a kit very much like that in uh, Mardi Gras. 
Yeah, we still got it. And we, it, I have it here. I ordered it specially for me, and I did video with it. Yeah, check that out. It's a, what you can see. Um, so that that's a that's I wonder, a. I wonder what got him into double bass drums. I wonder how how he uh, how he got into that. He, he just had that idea from early on. He just thought it was a was a great idea, and he he uh, and he actually brought that to the forefront. He was he was the I one who did early it. in his career. He he won a contest, right? And uh, it was like some like like uh, best drummer contest. And then, Gene Krupa contest. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. And that that kind of I, I just I wonder when because Gene Krupa certainly wasn't playing two two bass drums. That's for sure. No, <laughs> but uh, Louie was always a big fan of coming up with ideas like that, and he was that kid was a was, rocket lug kit. That's how. Old yeah, oh, that's right. It was oh, yeah, for sure. It was for, 40s. Yeah, for the little <clears throat> hardware note, uh, Gretsch when they way early on they used the rocket lugs, which they wouldn't have made. Those were actually made by Wahlberg and Aj. So they used the rocket lugs, and then they made up their own their right. own lug, which is to that's another thing. It's so simple. They didn't change their lugs like four times. It's yeah. just either that, a rocket lug or the modern yeah, kind of the Art 50s, Deco streamline lug. It went to lug. what's called a streamline lug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they exactly. Just never changed it because there was never a reason to. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but you know that that point about Louis just it's just interesting because <clears throat> there were so many uh, great innovators that that played these drums. And it's uh, it's a it's a wonderful story, and it's great that it stays in the family. That the business is still in the family. Fred yeah. still owns it. Fred's a great I think guy. That's I a got wonderful to meet him thing. A couple times. You've met him many times. Yeah. <clears throat> many times. Many times. He's been to the New York store, I imagine. Oh yeah, we he's, had. A, he's uh, never been to Illinois, I don't think. No, no. He should come, uh -uh. Fred. If you're listening, come out to the shop yeah. one of these days. But uh, yeah, but, but it's great. And and the and I have to give a nod to uh, all of the folks, <clears throat> Paul Cooper and his team who do a great job and always have been, and they still do. They really, really live uh, for these drums, and, and they, they keep that legacy alive. And all the people at DW, um, you know, Chris Lombardi and Don Lombardi and John Good and everybody else out there, yeah. uh, they're really strong believers in keeping that legacy alive, and they've done a great job with it, and including just, you know, ways to modernize things so that they can produce more quickly, and uh, they're making the shelves for them now. It's... Uh, it's really been great. So it's a the the Gretsch story is a great story, man. It's just uh, uh, yeah, something we're anything, proud to be part of. Anything custom? Yeah, that's that's they're such a great company because they're so easy to work with. And then, yeah. like I said, if you like break a hoop or something, they'll make you a new one in a couple of years. If you bought it from us, yeah, we'd probably just get one for you. You know, if it cracks. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And yeah, just a really really wonderful people to work with. They yeah. they take a lot of a lot of pride in what they do. Absolutely. <laughs> so it um, it's great. I've got uh, nothing but. Great things to say, and uh, we've been proud to be associated with the Gretsch uh, family for so many years. Man, it's just great. And, and now, we, now DW involved as well. It, yeah, they they're an American-owned company, and yeah, now they're going to be doing stuff with Slingerland as well. So that's, that's right. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Yes, all, which all is these great. old brands that uh, that we can still we can still play. So yeah, just say in the comments if anyone has any more questions about Gretsch. I think we've. We've really covered covered a lot. I, I told you this was going to be a longer one. We could probably talk about Gretsch for longer if we ever run out of ideas. Maybe we'll do a second half. Yeah, but, and I mean, there's there's so much other we deal with stuff. Them, we deal with them more than really just about anybody. Really, Craviato and Gretsch are kind of how we started. Those two. We do yeah. a lot with Ludwig too, but um, yeah. But the, the stuff we do with Ludwig has been more recent. Yeah, yeah. When I say more recent, within the last five to six years or so. We started doing a lot of Ludwig as well, but we've right. been doing, uh, when we started this business in, I don't know, whenever it was, 2001, uh, I mean, we were doing basically vintage, uh, high-end custom, which was Craviato, and then basically Gretsch, and yeah. just the, the USA, you know, the USA part of Gretsch. Yeah, the, we were talking about good setups, and I'd, I'd say if someone came into the shop and was like, I want a real professional kit, and... Uh, to be like ultra versatile, kind of work for anything and not like eight to ten thousand dollars, but you know, maybe like around four or five, do a Gretsch kit and then a Craviato snare drum. That's mm. kind of the, the ultimate setup yeah. for, for what, what we, you know, for versatility. Because, yeah. you know, other snares, maybe they would be, they have kind of their sound, but what, what do you think about that? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, <clears throat> well, actually, uh, you have the ability, and I worked this out with Gretsch, so uh, we can make a solid shell snare drum. Uh, and uh, for Gretsch solid shell snares, they will build the snare out as a solid shell with a Craviato shell. We send oh, them. Oh, nice. We, mean, not, we meaning me, but our Craviato business. Yeah. Uh, 
we make the solid shells for Gretsch that they use for their solid shell snare drum option. Yeah, very So cool. you are, in effect, getting yeah. one. <laughs> and, of course, it costs more. I mean, it doesn't you know, cost the same as a ply shell drum because right. it's a solid shell drum. But nonetheless, you can have a Gretsch kit with uh, solid shell. That's great. Snare. I didn't even know that. That, that, that must have slipped <laughs> under my radar sometimes. So Yeah, we've been doing that for a few years. So if you, if you, if you go to any dealer, you can go to have Gretsch make you a single-ply snare, and then that, that's a Craviato shell on there. Yeah. Very cool. I know they've done single-ply a couple times. They they're always trying to expand their snare yeah, drum and options. So, and, and, <laughs> uh, but they, um, the best single-ply single shell that you can buy is the Craviato shell. I mean, Johnny's design, and the way Johnny did that work can be just, it's just without compare. So it makes, it makes the most sense to... For a brand like Gretsch to use the best possible yeah. shell. Right on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so that's yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh big fun. Yeah. All right. Glad we did this. About time. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> now back to work for us. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay.